in the morning. When you want the news, you need the front page every hour on the press box. Nothing's riding on this except the uh, First Amendment, the Constitution, freedom of the press, and maybe the future of the country. Not that any of that matters. And now, the news. The Cowboys beat the Vikings 20-16 to last night. Dak Prescott did not play, but Cooper Rush did 24 of 40, 325 yards. But more importantly, we're halfway into the season, basically. This Cowboys defense is legitimately good, isn't it? They're very good, and uh, that's what's been troubling them in the past when they had good offensive teams. I guess a hot take by you right now would be Dak Prescott doesn't matter. No, he does, because you don't get to play Kirk Cousins in prime time every week. <laughs> but he hey, does. Kirk Cousins looked really good that first drive. <laughs> looked really good. I So, okay, the, the Raiders are kind of in the same boat here. I think the Cowboys are better. Right, but the I Raiders are better. in the same boat here where they've had a good offense and a good quarterback the last few years. Granted, Dak was hurt. But the defense has been awful the last couple of seasons. And now, all of a sudden, both teams have solid defenses. I think it's still fair. We're halfway in or about halfway into the season. So we're getting to a point where you're kind of like, okay, they, they are a legitimately good defense, but I, I still think it's fair to wonder, okay, will that defense regress at all the second half of the season, but they're two similar teams in that, Hey, the offense has been there now that the defense is actually performing at a top, both defenses, a top 10 level so far this year, it's the, they're legitimate playoff yeah. contenders and maybe more. Oof. They're playoff contenders for sure. I mean, especially in the East with Dallas, they're going to get in just because the rest of the league again stinks. Um, but then, man, you watch someone like the Rams yesterday, and like, you're just not in that level. I know. And I is, think the Cowboys are good. I do. I think they're good. It's okay. It's it's tough because we were just making fun of the Titans in the AFC. If you took the Cowboys and they were in the AFC, it's it's them and the Bills, right? Like, I mean, those are the. I mean, the Bills didn't even look that good yesterday. But like, it's Cowboys and are, our hometown, right? <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's. I mean, you can argue Maybe? the Raiders are the best team in the AFC. Like, I I don't think sure. you're stupid if you try to argue that. So, but it, you take the top five in the NFC and you say if any one of them were in the AFC, right. it'd be like they'd be yeah, the best team. That's the best team in the AFC. Yeah. So it's a weird year where we're looking at yeah, are, are all the good teams in the NFC playoffs. It's gonna be brutal. Because, oh, it's gonna be brutal. Like, take the NFC West, the Rams or the Cardinals. Somebody's a wild card team. Yeah. One of those teams yeah. is a wild card team going on the road to Can play. You imagine if the Rams are a wild card yeah. team. I mean, the Rams might have to go on the road, and it might be Dallas would host them in the first round. <laughs> like you could be the Cowboys, have a great year, and all of a sudden, here's the Rams. What the hell are the Rams yeah, doing exactly. over there? Uh, I don't know. We'll see. Tom Brady <laughs> had three turnovers in a loss to the Saints. What's with the Saints being the one team that can just flutter this guy into like picks and 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 fumbles and they put that graphic up there yesterday about you know the difference between turnovers against every other team and New Orleans like my goodness they have this guy figured out. Saints are five and two now. Big uh, problem, Jameis Winston. That was not good. ACL injury. Yeah, that wasn't good. So Trevor Simeon did uh, help them beat Tom Brady yesterday, which is fun to say out loud, but. Saints are five and two. They're only a half game back at Tampa Bay. Like they've been better than expected this year, but it's hard to see Trevor Simeon led Saints doing. Well. I guess a five and two start means you got a shot to make the playoffs, right? Their defense is good enough, but I they probably don't make the playoffs. And even if they do, they're going to Arizona or Green Bay in the first week well, and losing. 
How long is Taysom out with the concussion? Uh, probably better without Taysom. I mean, Let Trevor Simeon be the quarterback. Uh, I mean, Trevor Simeon can throw, so that does make him a yeah. better quarterback. But he kind of, I thought he he battled with James for James for the, uh, for well, the start of the show. I mean, you know, Sean Payton is yeah. In well, love with he's in Hill. love with him. Oh, yes, you're right. Once he comes back, he's, start, he's the yeah. starting quarterback. But it probably tanks their playoff chances because they're going to try to win games 17 to 13 yes. the rest of the year. Is it bad that every time Tom Brady has a like mediocre performance against the Saints when he, with Tampa Bay, I think back? Ryan Fitzpatrick once threw for like 500 <laughs> yards and four touchdowns with a worse team against a better Saints team. What is wrong with Tom Brady's I don't know what's brain? Wrong with with him and this team. What do you think? The Jets beat the Bengals yesterday, oh. thirty-four to thirty-one. Uh, Mike White. Mike White threw for four hundred yards for the Jets. Uh, Michael Carter had one hundred and sixty total yards rushing and receiving for the Jets. So Bengals were five and two. Kind of this nice. Oh, look at the Bengals. They might be good. Now they're five and three. A loss to the Jets. They suck. Well, last week, who's the best team in the AFC? I offered the Bengals, so that was a nice pick. That was a good pick there. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing. Some, they look uh, good. Some Survivor Leagues went down this week. Ooh. Oh, absolutely. They uh, they lost a lot of people. Um, I don't know if they suck. I was looking at Mike White. I'm like, former uh, UCF AD, was that? that was Danny White. I think it was Danny White. The yeah. lunatic who put up the We Won the National Championship. Yeah. <laughs> put, up, put up banners and bought rings. Good for Mike White. Whoever I gotta be honest with you, no clue who Mike White was. We will be playing some Mike White sound later in the show. Did that I will any... have to tell you is Mike White. Did you have any idea who it was? No. Did I have a clue. We, on this show, we went, it's some guy named White. And Tyler went, I don't think that's a, I don't think that's his name. And we had to Google it. And none of us knew who it was. I had no clue who that guy was. I didn't either. No we, idea. We I may have been confused. It was some white guy. Yeah. I, I had no idea who he is. Don't care to look I mean, him good up. for him. Next question. Kyler Murray could miss one to three weeks with an ankle injury. He got hurt late in the game against the Packers on Thursday night football. He could also miss no time. This is not a, a guaranteed timeline of him missing time, but he does have an ankle injury. He could miss some time or depending on how the swelling goes, according to Jay Glazer, he could be good to go this weekend. That would, when you talk about like NFC playoffs, NFC seedings, the Cardinals got off to a good enough start that even if Kyler Murray missed two games here, they're still going to be a player. Absolutely. Team, right? But if but Kyler they can Murray, be in Dallas in the first round. If Kyler Murray misses two games and they lose both of them, all of a sudden the Rams are in control of the West, and now they're looking at a wild card spot right. to go down to end the year and have to go to Dallas or Green Bay or wherever that ends up being. What we've established in the last five minutes is no matter who it is, the Cowboys are going to look to the opposite end of the field and go, what the hell are they doing here? Like, you, the Cowboys are going to go like 14-3, and three, have home field, look down and see the Rams. Like, I mean, it, you look at the division. Oh, you're, division you're right. Winners. You're perfectly correct. Packers, one has to be a wild card. Yeah, Packers, Bucks, Cowboys, and then one of Cardinals, Rams. Those it four is. teams are going to win the divisions. Mm-hmm. One will get the first round by, and the other three are going to have to play wild card They have to play teams. each other. And one of those wildcard teams is going to be the Rams or, or the, the Cardinals. Cardinals. Matt Stafford is going to put up MVP level like stats, and then in the opening round somehow lose on a like last minute interception, like he's done every time he's yeah. ever been in the playoffs. He's going to have to go to Lambeau in his first playoff <laughs> yeah. game. 
He, well, he's in a good. Blizzard. He's good at Lambo. I don't care about your next question. Michigan State beat Michigan 37 to 33, a top 10 matchup of undefeated teams, one of the biggest games in that rivalry. Refs cost Michigan a win, or was I just reading Adam Hill's I think Twitter we're just reading. I think we're reading his timeline way too much. Uh, uh, he he was not happy at all. And then a couple people came back at him, and he did say that he has said often, often that those kind of games are always decided by refs, and the refs are going to screw somebody. So I think we were reading his timeline all day. So Michigan State's undefeated. They end the season. Their last two games are on the road against Ohio State and a home game against Penn State. They win them both. They'll be in the Big Ten title game and yeah. probably in the college football playoff. At Columbus. Probably, probably not, not. I don't think so either. We're still ending up with Ohio State winning the Big Ten is my guess. Would you Would you hire, I saw this after the game, would you hire Mel Tucker for your USC? And if you're Mel Tucker, would you go to USC? Yes and yes. Okay. Well, yeah. I would go there. It's Michigan State. Yeah. If yeah. I was USC, yeah. yeah, probably. Okay. I mean, I, I guess maybe there's, is there a better option? That's I, don't, out there I, don't, right I haven't now? seen in a couple weeks now. Yeah. Like, what I, the PCU. Yeah. I, I would, I, Mel Tucker, yeah, with what he's done there so far, I would probably do that. How does, I don't understand how Harbaugh keeps losing these games. Happy to move on to the, to the next question here, Aaron. Doesn't he beat everybody not named Michigan State and Ohio State? Yes. Which, but wait, yes. oh. You're Michigan. Yeah. Oh, yeah like, yeah. you could win two games. Right. Yeah, you know I'm saying, like, he loses the two important games. <laughs> he loses games the two year. that he can't lose. Yeah. Uh, Kevin Durant was fined $25,000 for throwing a basketball into the stands over the weekend. Uh, he then gave this quote, I don't know what I was thinking. I thought I was at the gym by myself, a pickup game, <laughs> not an NBA game. Okay, so he gets fouled. It's an intentional foul. It's a, it's a, it's, it's a grab, and I guess he was just pissed. Just chucks it into, just into the crowd. In, he's just pissed. But he wasn't. He doesn't even look like he's and, that angry. And it's no. not even like a play where you'd be that. I, he, I think he's. In all seriousness, I think he's telling the truth when he says, "I don't know what the hell I was thinking. Like I don't know what happened there. I just threw the ball." Yeah, and it's. He it's, thought he saw Kyrie in the crowd, <laughs> and he went that hey, guy. I haven't played with him in a while. I mean, it's a four-point game, 440 left in the third. It's not like it happened at right. the end of the game and he <laughs> I, was mad. And I mean, it's like in the third quarter. Like, who cares? I honestly believe him that he just sort yes. of yeah, went I don't, on autopilot. What would be the point, be the point of right. doing that? There's I no think, point. I think he just went on autopilot, which is, by the way, maybe a little bit more dangerous than doing it on purpose. Because if you do it on purpose, you can be like, hey, yeah, I know not to do that. But when you just do it and you're like, I don't know what happened. How the hell do you stop him from doing it again? I want to see him at the Y. Does he throw a lot of balls? Does he throw <laughs> balls at are you? Are you fouling? I mean, I, I, yeah, I'm, making, I'm making I mean, every business decision in the world. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, you foul him when he dribbles across half court. He just half yeah. his arm. Okay. But if he's going to the rim, yeah, I'm going. Yeah. All right. Yeah, there it is, buddy. Wow. Sorry. Um, I got you. Thank you. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> The Padres have fired, or fired, have hired Bob Melvin to be their manager. Interesting timeline because Melvin had agreed to an extension to come back in 2022 to manage the Oakland A's, but the A's still allowed him to interview with San Diego and ultimately take that job. Bob Melvin, 11 years. 
in yeah. Oakland. Three AL West titles, six total playoff appearances, but only one playoff series win. And that was last year during the expanded playoffs. They won two out of three against the White Sox. Is Bob Melvin a good manager? I think he is. It's going to be tough finishing 30 out. <laughs> I, think, I, I think he is a good manager. He, he's also going to be like... I, I we seem to have a consistent roster each year. Yes. I don't know how to coach players that I learn the names of. I mean, they handed him a roster less like ten years, thirty out, thirty out, thirty out. There's something wrong here. I think he's a good manager, and as a fan of another team in that division, I'm not very happy because I think that I think they did pretty well with him. The Padres collapsed in the second half of the season and hired the manager that oversaw the second biggest collapse in the second half of the season. The Oakland A's. Hey, he's better than Tingley. Probably, but I don't think that makes him good. Oh, well, I mean, I'm voting for your opinion because <laughs> I put my hand up and I'm voting for that opinion that he's not any good. Maybe I was just basing him on Tingler. Kalong told me a couple days ago, I, you got to get rid of this echo. <laughs> can't talk. I'm drunk. Whatever. <laughs> Marc-Andre Fleury is embarrassed by the Blackhawks start. His quote to the Chicago Sun-Times this is very frustrating, embarrassing. We had some hype with our team with the new acquisitions this summer and younger guys having a little more experience this season. We all expected more out of our team, and it's been tough to keep staying positive through it. We're nine games in. They haven't won. They're 0-7-2. But we're only nine games into the season, and Flurry's already talking about tough staying positive through it. He has the second-worst save percentage in the NHL, second-worst goal saved above average. He actually was good in their last game. It was a one nothing loss. That was his best performance of the year, but still a loss for the team, and they're 0-7-2. Embarrassing. I mean, a it lot, is. I mean, to be 0-7-2, and, and, you, and you look up, and Marc-Andre Fleury, who won the Vesna, is, I mean, arguably the worst goalie in the league so far this year. I mean, they did have a lot of hype just because of him. Did the, I mean, the tweeting and the and they the, went for a lot of people. Yeah, the Blackhawks were like off-season champs, like that, like the Padres. You know, they off-season champs. Right. Like they had a good off-season. People thought, okay, not not that anybody thought, oh, the Blackhawks Stanley Cup contenders, but it was, oh, the Blackhawks are probably going to be in the playoffs this year. And you start the year 0-7 and two, and specifically with Flurry being as bad as he's been. Like, they're not a good team in front of him, but he's been awful. Yeah. He's been really, really bad. Coming up next, the Golden Knights are back. Want to be part of the show? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and leave your opinion. The lefty starts left. Top of the left circle to the middle. He scores! Off Gibson's right arm and into the goal. Vegas wins. To Dunoff, the overtime hero on Wednesday. The shootout hero on Nevada Day. The final score, Knights 5, Ducks 4. We're back to the press box with Grady and Bischoff, live from the Finley Toyota ESPN Las Vegas studios. Golden Knights are back. Three straight wins. They're four and four on the year. Look at them go. And Leonard wins in a shootout. He did win in a shootout. My goodness. He only really like, what was it? What, he stopped three of four? Let the first one in, and then you're like, uh-oh. Who's this? Huh? Do you think I like the shootout? Who's this goalie? <laughs> He's not good at these things. He's not supposed to be good at these things. He hates them enough to say it out loud. So they're back. They've won three in a row. You confident in the Golden Knights now? 
Uh, yeah, I guess I'm confident. I just looked at the standings. Or Anaheim's ahead of them. <laughs> yeah. Anaheim's played no. more games, haven't they? Yeah, it's fine. They here. Okay, they're four and four, and to me, that's the key. B five hundred until Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty come back. If they can do that, I think this team is perfectly fine. Maybe somebody runs away with the division. Like maybe if Edmonton stays pretty hot so far, they can run away with it. Calgary's been good this year. Calgary's too. been really good. But they're in like, first place. For the most part, if they stay 500, you get Stone and Patch ready back. You're you're going to the playoffs, and you're going to have a decent shot to track down right. Calgary or Edmonton right. to win the division again. As long as those teams don't go on some crazy, hey, they won 18 of 22 games or something like that. So I, that's the key. Obviously, you start one and four, you're nowhere near 500, and that's the issue. Is do they have another one and four stretch coming up, or are they able to kind of balance them out and keep st- uh, sticking around? right at 500, that to me is going to be the key. Now, that game against Anaheim, they win in the shootout, they get two points, but what's ignoring the shootout for a second, they had a 4-1 lead and then blew it in the span of about five and a half minutes. (laughs) What's more significant? That they actually scored and had a 4-1 lead, actually looked like a dominant team, or... They've been bad defensively this year that they gave up three goals. In like yeah, and they gave and up minutes. three goals to a team that had played the night before and also scored three goals in the third period to come back. So I think that was worse to give up three goals to an obviously tired team in a span of five, I think it was 5.15, yeah. uh, just over five minutes. Um, I was there, and uh, you know what I'm going to say. Had about 500 words written. That oh, had to, that boy, had to, be, had to scratch it. Oh, scratch no, that's no good. Scratch. Yeah, that wasn't good. So I think it's worse that they gave up the three than they actually had the lead. They should have had the lead. It was back-to-back on the Ducks. And, I and you know, to get – look, you get up 4-1 against one of the best goalies in the NHL, then you need to kind of close it out 4-2 or, you know, whatever. But you can't give up three goals to that team who's obviously tired. So giving up the three goals, I think, is the bigger story because this has been the same trend even though they've won three in a row. The Golden Knights are allowing the most high danger chances at five on five this year in the NHL. They have been like the worst five on five defensive team in the NHL this year, which is unbelievable to say out loud. Like this is a team that over its entire existence has been very good Mm -hmm. at limiting the other teams having from having high danger chances. They've like, they've lost games before, but it's like, Oh, the other team had two high danger chances. They just scored on both of them. Right. But they're giving up at five on five, 15 high danger chances per 60 minutes. Like they're bad defensively. And so that's going to happen. Like they're going to have stretches where they give up multiple goals in like a four or five minute stretch, even over this next month, like even before Stone and Patch come back, especially before they come back, they're not good defensively. And I think that is ultimately the bigger story for the Golden Knights right now than the actual wins and the actual, you know, eh, they're back to 500. I think it's that defensively they haven't shown that they're any good this year. Why do you think that is? So Stone I mean, and Patch I mean, Stone and Patch are the, okay, that line has been probably the best possession line in the NHL over the last few years. Maybe not the best at always scoring, but in terms of possessing the puck, that line's top of the league almost every single year. So obviously when you possess the puck a lot, the other team can't have a high danger chance. So that hurts a lot. When you lose basically the best possession line in the NHL, you also have had other injuries where, you know, an Alex Tuck is out, 75 different forwards have missed time. They've had defensemen miss time as well. I think it comes down to missing that line, but also guys trying to do too much and offensively and leaving some holes. 
where you have a Petrangelo trying to do too much. Or you have a Theodore trying to do too much, and it leaves them a little bit more vulnerable on the back end. Yeah, because we said earlier, and this is ironic that Petrangelo and Theodore were asked about Stone Patretti, are you going to have to become more offensive-minded? Well, if they're trying to do too much, become more offensive-minded, then you're susceptible on the back end, right. and you start giving up high danger. Chances. And we've seen, and we've also seen some, like you know, Nick Hague had the one game where he had two brutal turnovers that led to right. goals. Like we've seen some just bad plays that lead to it. But I, I think a lot of it is missing Stone and Patchetti, and basically the trickle-down effect that that has on what the rest of the roster is trying to do in games. All right, very important question for you. Are they trading for Jack Eichel? I think they are. Can I, I be mad at the hockey national media? For? Can anybody in this sport report on anything? Every that single they're trading okay. or they're not trading. That. It, what's happening? Every Tell single us tweet, something. Every single tweet from a national media member over the weekend was like, well, the Jack Eichel trade could happen. They're in talks. It heated up. It cooled down. They're in talks. There's a framework. It's not happening. Right. Like, can anybody tell us anything? It's I, I swear it's almost like every national media member, it was like, oh, they thought, oh, Jack Eichel might get traded. I better tweet something about this so it looks like I'm having I'm a I'm ahead of things. But not a single person had an actual report. Not one real report happened this weekend, but there were 74 different tweets that made you think, oh, something might happen. What are we doing? Can we not get, like, some decent reporting that says this is or is not happening? Well, they're going to move them, right? They have to. I mean, they... I think they have to move them. At some point, they have to. At some point, they have to move the guy. Yeah. It's just a matter of... do It's 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 a lot like Deshaun Watson and the Texans. Do mm. they ever come down off their asking price? Like, that's... The Buffalo and the Texans front office are basically saying, all right... Here's our asking price. Somebody meet it, and everybody else is saying for different reasons. I don't know if we want to trade for that guy. Okay, so I'll throw it back at you because this is one thing we heard the other night at the game, obviously not confirmed. You have to give up two multiple picks, uh, 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 an under-contract defenseman and forward. The defenseman has to be Theodore. Okay, my problem with trading for Jack Eichel is I don't think he helps you win the Stanley Cup this year because you no, don't. No, at at, he'll have the surgery, and then at best – at best, it's what two to three months. Right. So I don't. So the Golden Knights should be winning the Stanley Cup this year, right? Or like that's the organizational goal. That's their goal. And if you have to give up Theodore to get Eichel, Theodore is going to help you more this season win the Stanley Cup simply because he's healthy. It's, yeah, he's playing. So I, I don't mind trading for Jack Eichel, but I don't. I don't where the Golden Knights are in terms of like their championship window. I don't, I don't get it because also, you tra- if you trade away Theodore, that's only half of the ten million dollars that Jack Eichel makes. There has to be another move at some point. Yeah, because you have to get out in front of it because right. eventually those other guys are coming off LTIR and you're right. going to be messed up on the cap over the cap. Uh, so I, I understand wanting Jack Eichel. I just where the Golden Knights are in terms of trying to win a Stanley Cup right now. I, I don't get it. Like Anaheim was another team that got that thrown was around. the other team that floated. They're not really like, oh, win the cup right now. Right. That makes a little bit more sense if you're Anaheim to make this trade than the Golden Knights right now. But they're always going after the biggest prize. Yes, yeah, so. they always want the big name. Coming up next, Ryan Wallace joins the show. Is Tyler a know-it-all? We, Can uh, you prove him wrong? Tweet at Bischoff underscore Tyler and at Ed Graney. Here, here. This isn't the Alex Ovechkin Power Hour. 
This is the VGK Update with Ryan Wallace. Follow him on Twitter at RyanHockeyGuy. I'm out. Are they trading for Jack Eichel or not? Don't ask me, buddy. I have no idea. (laughs) Nobody has any idea. Exactly. (laughs) Okay. If, if they trade for Jack Eichel. How much do you think? I know you don't know exactly what would be leaving in that case, but obviously significant pieces would have to be gone. How much do you think it actually hurts their chances to win the cup this year? I mean, that's a really interesting question, right? It depends on if Jack Eichel can be activated off of LTIR before the end of the season. If he he can be activated off LTIR before the end of the season, it's likely going to cost you pieces as you move forward beyond just what you're giving to the Buffalo Sabres to make the trade. Um, it depends. I think if you are able to keep, let's say, William Carlson and Jonathan Marcheseau on this team, um, I think with, with Jack Eichel in the fold and Max Pacioretty in the fold as well, you have one heck of a top six. Now, Does it make you weaker uh, in the bottom six? Yeah, absolutely. But um, Jack Eichel and Max Pacioretty teamed up together and then a a second line, so to speak, of Jonathan Marshall, William Carlson, and Mark Stone, um, I think makes you one of the best top six six forward groups in the league. So I I think it, it gives you a good chance of winning a Stanley Cup because Jack Eichel is that kind of player. Okay, so you just talked about the top six because people out there, you know, all they hear about is Jack Eichel, Jack Eichel, how good he is. But you said it would weaken the bottom six. Uh, Talk about Chandler Stevenson and why so much it would weaken the bottom six. Well, I I mean, I think Chandler would move down, right? Because uh, if you're looking, and and as well as he has played in the absence of Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty, I I think you just have to acknowledge the fact that Jack Eichel is is a better option as your top-line center than Chandler Stevenson would be. Now, Stevenson would move down, um, assuming that you still have the Donov. Like, I think that works well, too, with Chandler Stevenson. Um, you know, Keegan Colasar, he would have to come along a little bit more, finish some of his chances, which, I mean, the kid makes uh, gets 10 high-danger chances a game. Now it's just about finding a way to bury it. And then, you know, you've got your fourth line that isn't going to chip in offensively that much. But I, you know, I look at it, and the question becomes: Which players are still around? Which players do you have in the fold? And which guys have kind of grown over the year? That's why it's such a difficult question to answer. Do I think they'd be better with Jack Eichel? For sure, because he's just that good of a player. But you don't know exactly what you're getting in the player because he's coming off of a major, major injury, major surgery, and hasn't played in 15 months. Um, so, I mean. The potential is there to make you a really, really stacked top six and uh, an okay bottom six. But, you know, is that enough to win you the Stanley Cup? I don't know. Well, the, the Golden Knights have had a pretty good top six for a while now and, and have come short a couple of times. So to go off your hypothetical here, uh, you, the name you left out there was Riley Smith. But let's let's assume this one thing. <laughs> let, let, me, let me make this simple. There'd obviously be other pieces in this trade. But if the sure. Golden Knights trade for Jack Eichel, and Riley Smith is gone, and Shea Theodore is gone. Does Is Jack Eichel good enough? Let's say he comes back, starts playing again in March or whatever, and can be ready to go for the playoffs. Is Jack Eichel better for this team to win the Cup than Smith and Theodore combined? Well, yes, but, I, I mean, I, I don't feel like it would be Theodore, and that's, that's okay. just me kind of thinking out loud here because 
if you're if you're the Golden Knights, I understand that you don't you want to in, in times deal from a position of power, but what sets you apart, I think, in the NHL is the fact that you have Theodore, you have Petrangelo, you have two guys that are capable of taking over a game on the back end. If I could get the deal done without Shea Theodore, that's what I'm going to do. But to answer your question simply, yes, Jack Eichel, I think, gives you a better opportunity of winning a Stanley Cup than the combination of Riley Smith and Shea Theodore. You don't want to lose them, but if they just stand firm, like supposedly they've tried to get Peyton Krebs, and again, all these reports, you don't know what to believe or not. The Golden Knights said, no, he's off uh, You know, he's off limits. But you have to get the deal done, and they must take Shea Theodore. You still give him up. Yeah, I mean, again, you're you're not going to find a guy in I think in the world that that has a greater appreciation for what Jack Eichel can do on the ice. Um, I think that he's just that good, and and I know that everyone's going to point to he's never played a playoff game. Well, he's played on a terrible Buffalo team. Well, he's never elevated his game. He's been over a point a game player in the NHL on a terrible Buffalo team. Like this is a guy that can play and can play at a very very high level. Um, you know, the question is. You know, in, in our example, right, like we're talking about just two pieces in Riley Smith and Shea Theodore, um, and those are hypotheticals, but, like, I think it might be even another piece that you have to give up just to make the money work later on when you have to activate Jack Eichel off of IR. All right, so enough of Jack Eichel, whether or not that happens or not. We'll see. Uh, this team's won three in a row. Robin Leonard won yeah. in a shootout, too. So <laughs> is this their 4-4 four and four overall for the season? Is it fair to think, hey, if they can just sort of stay at 500 when Stone and Pacioretty come back, they can sort of take off and resume their place as a dominant team in this division? Yeah, I mean, I think 500 it was the goal, right? Like when, when you lose two-thirds of your top line and the questions remain about what is left in your lineup and then you lose Nolan Patrick and then you lose Zach Whitecloud and then you lose Alec Martinez for a stretch. Um, you don't have Matias Yamark, he's injured as well, like, the, the the fact that that year 500 is is actually a win here for the Golden Knights, and that's about where they need to be for me until Stone and Pacioretty come back. And I don't know if they'll be coming back together, if you'll get one before the other. All of that remains a mystery here. But for the Golden Knights to, to keep their head above water in this situation, 500 is about where you want them to be so that when they get Pacioretty and Stone back, they can, you know, it stands to reason they're probably going to win, you know, 65% of the games that they play from that point forward. So that's actually going to get them um, into, into a better spot. So 500 without Stone and Pacioretty, that's what the Golden Knights should be. Uh, I want to ask you about this because before you came on, uh, Tyler gave out some numbers of why they're the worst right now and giving up high danger chances. We had talked to Petrangelo and Theodore and others alike saying, are you going to have to become more offensive-minded because Stone and Pacioretty is out and you're going to have to do more on that end as well. Is that the reason? Like, what's going on defensively in your mind that you're just giving up so many high-danger chances? Yeah, I mean, I think they're pressing for offense. Like, if you're Alex Petrangelo and Jay Theodore and you're looking at the lineup that's put in every single night and it's different, you've got Jake LeCision, no disrespect to him, but he's not going to produce that much at the NHL level. Jonas Rombier, not going to produce that much at the NHL level. Um, you you need to find offense in different ways, and and one of the ways you have to do that is through the, the defensemen that you have that are elite and are really, really good offensively. So you've got Martinez and Theodore and Petrangelo pressing up the ice, trying to make something out of nothing. And oftentimes those players are getting turned over and put back in their net. So um, I absolutely think that it's a product of not having Stone and Patch ready 
and asking Petrangelo and Theodore to create more from the back end that's really exposing the Golden Knights defensively. Robin Leonard good in shootouts now? Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> he's uh he's two and two with the Golden Knights and he's won his last two, so maybe it's a maybe it's a tired narrative that we should just stop talking about. This is something I I uh, should look up. The Golden Knights are they the best team in the history of the NHL in shootouts? I I mean, smallest sample size, so probably. Yeah. Like I I mean, run with it, Tyler. Get get the I mean, uh, get that information and make make some funny tweet about it. I don't know. I mean, they've almost got to be like Subban's got like the best numbers ever. Granted, he's only right. been in like seven or eight. Flurry has been one of the best in terms of a big actual sample size ever in shootouts. Mm-hmm. And now even Robin Leonard is here and he can win in the shootouts. I, I think they, they've got to be, they've got to be the best NHL team ever in shootouts. Go, go do your research, buddy. Yeah, yeah, Whatever. We'll see. I'm going to Houston tomorrow. Research, whatever. Yeah, he's going to watch team. the, he's going to watch the world series. He's going to go yeah. watch that. Um, <laughs> Mark Andre Fleury's embarrassed. Should he be? Yeah, well, yeah. Um, I mean, <laughs> Chicago's a, a, a train wreck, right? Like, this is a team that you know, like, take the the on ice stuff and and put that in its own in its own spot. But you know, really, the the information that came out last week about Kyle Beach and Brad Aldrich and what happened during the 2010 uh, Stanley Cup playoffs is uh, a stain on the NHL community. It just simply is. There's no way to to, to look at it any differently. Um, so, I mean, there's a lot of turmoil surrounding the Blackhawks right now uh, on and off the ice. But, I mean, on the ice, they're they're terrible. They are a terrible, terrible hockey club. And even when Marc-Andre Fleury stands on his head and saves 36, 37 shots, they still lose the game because they are an absolute disaster of a team. All right, Ryan. We appreciate it. Get Thanks, Ryan. BGK appreciate Insider it. Show, 4 to 6 p.m. over on Fox Sports Las Vegas. Thanks, Ryan. All right, thanks, guys. Thanks, Ryan. Blackhawks. What a disaster! Yeah, we t- we talked about that on Friday, right? I mean, I don't know if we got fully into it, but well, yeah, probably don't want to get fully into about it. About Kyle but, Beach, yeah. Press box transition. Yeah. Jared and I talked about it during the break. I mean, this isn't even the embarrassment is uh, not even close to uh, their worst headlines no. of the last week. Like, I mean, the cocky doesn't matter at all. Here's, here's if my Alan question. Walsh tweeted something out. It may not even be like the fifth most retweeted Blackhawks story. I, here's my qu- big picture question on the NHL because Ryan said NHL community there. I'm curious how many teams that could happen at where you could have a video coach sexually assault a player and have basically everybody know coaches, players, front office, and basically everybody know and nothing happened where the coach blows it off and says, hey, we're trying to win right now. I don't have time for this. Where the players are caught making fun of that player Man. on practice, where the front office knows. And the GM says, well, I pass it off to my superior, and he didn't do anything about it. Like, Am I just too cynical to say more than one? Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I, just, think, I, think I just can't believe that they're right. the only one that that could happen. Right, That that and that's, that's I think, the, the big-picture question in the NHL is how many places could that happen, and it's probably not just Chicago. Be a question and, to ask Gary Bettman, who's yeah. holding a press conference this morning at 10 a.m. Hopefully, you know, this was a decade ago. Hopefully, we've, you know, made some progress in the last 10 years that there would be enough people to say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Right. Whoa. Right. Well, what's happening? We're not yes. letting that happen. Something's got to change here. But I do think it's more than one. And I think even in 2021. It, oh, it could happen. It, it mean, could still happen. 
genuinely between Baylor, Penn State, and the Blackhawks pretty much seems like this is apparently a fairly standard operating procedure of, oh, we got caught instead of and got, and people what knew. the hell is and wrong. People knew. All right, here we go. We've got a pair of tickets to go watch the Golden Knights take Press on the Minnesota Wild transition. on Thursday, November 11th. So if you want to go check out the Golden Knights take on the Wild, be caller number 7 right now at 702-364-1100. That's 702-364-1100. Caller number 7 is going to wear a pair of tickets to see the Golden Knights. Do you want to schedule a parent-teacher conference after hearing Grainy's grades? Call the Press Box voicemail and let us know. 702-720-4678 and let us know who deserves a higher grade. I compare it all the time to a three-point shooter in basketball. If they're, if they're struggling from, from three-point, they try to get to the line and see the ball go in. So I, I compare it a lot to that. You know, once you're, as a quarterback, you're seeing the ball completed and you're moving the chains, whether it's five yards, six yards, it doesn't necessarily have to be a 20-yard throw to start the game. In the shotgun, takes the snap, drops back, looks right, looks left, fires in the back of the end zone, open is Croft, he's got it, that's a jet touchdown! Tyler Croft all alone. Mike White finds him for the go-ahead score with 3.45 to go. Unbelievable. It's the Press Box with Graney and Bischoff on ESPN Las Vegas. White, what a hero. Congratulations to Kendall. He won a pair of tickets to go watch the Golden Knights take on the Minnesota Wild on November 11th. We will have... More tickets, a lot of tickets to go watch the Golden Knights and the Wild throughout this week. So make sure you stay tuned if you want to win a pair to go out and watch some hockey. Uh, now, I had a fun story from the weekend because Pepperdine played an exhibition game, but they played an exhibition game against Division II Point Loma, and they lost 77-50. to 50. But the reason I think the story is fun is that Pepperdine, again, a Division I team, went on the road and played against a Division II team. Got beat by 27 points. You think that was a dumb move by Lorenzo Romar? Did the story say why he did it? Sometimes there's favors. Sometimes there's like ex-coaches, ex-assistants, buddies of theirs, and they say, okay, we'll come play you. Like, is, Did the story say why he did this? No, but this is why I actually like it a lot. They just played in what's probably the most hostile preseason environment any college basketball team is going to play on before the season actually starts. Went to Point Loma, Division II school, small gym, small crowd, small but gym. sold out. Apparently, it was a sold-out crowd and was very loud. All of gym. these college basketball teams are coming off a year where they played in front of either no crowds or very small right. crowds, Right. So we're looking at a bunch of teams that are about to be thrown into environments where it's like, oh, I never played in front of more than six people before. Like, we're talking about guys that haven't played in college basketball-type environments, but Pepperdine went and got that college basketball-type environment in an exhibition game. Because here's the thing. If Pepperdine had played a Division One team, if, if Pepperdine was playing UNLV in a real exhibition game in Vegas, right? Nobody cared. Like, there's... 3,500 people there, not very loud. Like, there's not many Division One teams that are going to have a great environment for an exhibition game. No, against most Pepperdine. of them are playing closed door practices. Right. But to go play a Division Two team where Point Loma is probably looking at it saying, we know it's an exhibition game, but. That's you're
One school. You're damn right. We're yeah. ready to beat Pepperdine. Yeah. I they lost by 27. It looks terrible, but it doesn't matter because it was an exhibition right. game. I think it was a great move by Pepperdine and Lorenzo Romar. I think it was a phenomenal decision to say, hey, let's go on the road and let's play this Division II school. I think it's great. I think it's I don't know how much it changes in terms of their preparation to start the year, <laughs> but I, I think it's great. I think it's a good I think it's putting your team in an environment that pretty much nobody else is going to be in until the season starts. Uh, preparation. He had a long practice the following day, believe me. That's what the preparation went to. I don't have a problem with it. I mean, like I said, I really want to know the the real reason. Maybe that was the real reason. Maybe I don't couldn't tell you who the who's on the Point Loma staff. I've been in that gym. I've been in the school. My wife went to the school. She went to Point Loma Nazarene. So was I've she been, pumped? Was she excited? She would have. Big she had a better chance nine. of knowing that I gave out too much candy last night to the little kids <laughs> than she would have that. Point Loma Nazarene was playing a basketball game against anybody. Um, beautiful school, by the way. Wait, quick question. Did she go to a Point Loma sporting event while she was in college? Does going to the beach and watching guys surf count? Was it like an NCAA-sanctioned surfing event? Probably not. <laughs> but she lived above the ocean. If you see Point Loma's school, you don't feel sorry for anyone on campus <laughs> because every view from the dorm is the Pacific Ocean. Um, I don't know if she did. I'd have to ask her. But... Whether no matter what he did, and this I didn't even think of this point that you just made, which is a great point. I forgot how few people they played in front of last year. You yeah. know what I mean? Like with no yeah. NSA tournament, I, mean, I, I excuse me, with the NSA tournament being in the bubble, um, like I forgot how many few people they actually played in front right. of next last year. So now Pepperdine might stink. We have no idea. Yes, I mean, they absolutely. might they might stink, but it might help them in the end also. Right. And like again, does one random exhibition in? Uh, October 30th, is that going to help you when you're playing a conference game and you need it to no. clinch the two seed in the tournament or something like that? Uh, maybe, maybe not, but I, I do think it was... I, I I do think the thought process there was smart because, again, you have these preseason games. Every team can play... You can play closed-door scrimmages or you can play an actual preseason game, sell tickets, invite fans, have the media there, but you have these preseason games to effectively work on things these are practices like they don't matter they're there to work on things and while most teams unlv play two closed door scrimmages they didn't play a game in front of fans they play two closed door scrimmages sure they get to work on their plays more they get to work on certain sets more than you would if it was an actual scrim or actual exhibition game but i think you know the idea of hey we haven't played in front of a road crowd in two years like these what have these guys seen in terms of a road crowd I like the thought process there. I like the idea of that's what they're going to work on is, hey, how do we handle playing in front of a loud road crowd? Did we get any or have we gotten any um, reports back on UNLV closed-door scrimmages, how they did? I, I know they beat Utah Valley, um, and they played like everybody. Like it wasn't okay. like a, hey, Bryce Hamilton played 38 minutes. Right. Uh, they played Northern Arizona this weekend. Closed-door. I, I, I do not okay. don't know anything. Haven't seen anybody else report anything about whether or not they won, lost, somebody played well, somebody tore their... I, don't don't have any okay. idea, uh, but they did beat Utah Valley and played everybody, which everybody thinks they're playing for this team already.